Welcome to the Midlife Crisis Cards Podcast with your host, Darren Herman. This podcast explores the world of sports cards from a variety of angles. Being a hobbyist collector for over 30 years, a professional software investor and angel investor in and around the card space, and a proud father who is raising children who collect and appreciate sports cards. If you want to learn more about Midlife Crisis Cards, head over to midlifecrisiscards.com where you can read his journey to card collecting, his history, and find some awesome individual cards to purchase from his personal collection. Or check out our brand new product, the Cardboard Box, a personalized and hand-selected box of cards that arrive at your front door. On the Midlife Crisis Cards podcast, we explore the convergence of Darren's worlds in the sports card industry, where hobby meets business. Without further ado, Please meet our host, Darren Herman, a.k.a. at Midlife Crisis Cards on Instagram and dherman76 on Twitter. Howdy, it's Darren Herman here. It's been a few days since we recorded this uh, podcast with Rob Bertrand of GTS Distribution, and I just listened to it, and I am super excited about it. This goes into the depths of how sports cards get from the manufacturer to your local card shop. And there are a lot of things that happen between the two and how your local card shop gets access to certain allocations of certain cards from the manufacturer. Also, we cover the new world of online breakers and how they get access to, uh, to sports cards too, potentially through distribution. And whether you, as an online breaker, could get access to uh, some distribution as well. So we've got Rob from GTS Distribution with us. GTS is one of the largest, if not the largest, distributor of sports cards in the space. And if you like this conversation with Rob, be sure to check out his web show, Go GTS Live, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. It's an awesome show. Rob puts a ton of time and effort into it. And hopefully you like what he has to say in this podcast interview and can follow it up each Thursday night. I hope you enjoy. Let's go to the podcast. All right, we are live. All right, we are live here today with Rob Bertrand of GTS Distribution. He's their director of marketing. And today's podcast episode is all about the distribution of sports cards. So Rob, welcome to the Midlife Crisis Cards podcast. Thank you for having me. And I love the name of the show. I don't know if you know where the name comes from, but it's my wife. She's she's convinced I'm having a midlife crisis as I'm getting back into sports cards, and so she's like, "There, that you should name the show this way." And so that's where that's where that's the genesis of where that came from. Um, it could but, be cheaper than buying a Porsche. Well, in the today's market, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've got a couple of cars in the garage that are cheaper than Lucas right now. <laughs> 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 but uh, so, you know, it's not about me. It's about you. So, so you know, this is a fascinating episode because, you know, I've, I've been trying to study the entire market map of the sports card and memorabilia ecosystem. And none of it would be possible without the distribution of sports cards. And we're going to dive into that like deep in this episode. But before we do that, you know, you're an interesting guy. You've been around sports cards and memorabilia for a long time. You know, you've shown me a bunch of your personal collection in the back of, you know, in your in your man cave. You know, you're no stranger to sports cards. And so I would I think myself and our listeners would love to hear 
a bunch of your background on, you know, how'd you get into sports cards and, you know, how, how'd you get to G- GTS, which, you know, is the prominent distributor of, of sports cards in the space? Well, it's a great story, actually. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, I grew up collecting c- cards as a kid, primarily baseball, and yeah. grew away from it like everybody else. But in probably was the year 2000 a friend of mine said hey what was the last time you were in a a sports card shop and he showed me some of his cards and i was like wow that that's pretty cool and if you think about the cards that were coming out at the time you know uh, he was showing me some of the autographs from like upper deck century legends and i was pretty blown away Mm. by that set and you know sp legendary cuts and there's just a lot going on and so i started getting back into it a little bit but there were a lot of licensees a lot of manufacturers a lot of sets and i was a little bit confused and i was trying to find some information about you know the direction that i should spend my hobby dollar and i found a website called card corner club and i found it pretty objective and so i started paying attention to that and they had actually were one of the first people in the space to uh, have a radio show podcast. And so I would listen to that and call in periodically because uh, they had that functionality. They were really early adopters of that. And I, I won a T-shirt. And <laughs> so at a card show in Chicago, I was wearing that shirt and I walked into the show and all of a sudden, I hear someone yell out, nice shirt. Awesome. I, I love how that happens. I'm like, I'm looking around, and someone waves at me, and I, I walk over, and they introduce themselves, Doug and Russ, and uh, introduce myself. And it just so happens that they were looking for an extra writer. And they asked me to uh, submit a writing sample, and they liked it, and they said hey we're going to send you a box do a review on it and uh from then on uh, i started doing reviews for product and that was how i got compensated and my reputation in the business i kind of build a a a personality or persona uh voice of the collector at votc on twitter and i started doing additional freelance work uh, for uh, Worth Point, uh, yeah. our website, cardcornerclub.net, eventually merged with Cardboard Connection, which is an industry leader. Mm, know that one. Yep. Yeah. And we merged the uh, Card Corner Club radio show also with Cardboard Connection, which became the Cardboard Connection radio show. And we did over 560 live radio shows under that. Wow. Band. Yeah. That was twice a week on blog talk radio. It was a call in radio format. And then, uh, Joe Fallon, who had been the director of product development at, for years at upper deck had joined GTS and had approached Doug Cataldo at, um, you know, cardboard connection, asking him if he knew anyone who would be interested in a content development role uh, 
at GTS working under him. And he, he said he was busy at the time, but knew the perfect person, which happened to be me. And so on a uh, freelance basis, uh, kind of as an independent contractor, I started working for Joe Fallon uh, in 2013. GTS brought me on as a uh, marketing manager in 2014. And then I became the senior marketing manager. Joe moved up in the company and I eventually became the director of marketing for the sports and entertainment. All because of a t-shirt. Yeah, all because of a t-shirt. Yes. Isn't that I amazing? Guess, I guess in the end it really is because of a t-shirt. Amazing. I love that story. That's so amazing. So you joined this company called GTS Distribution. What is GTS Distribution and what is sports card distribution? Well, we're the we're the largest distributor of sports card, trading card games, and other specialty goods. Uh, and it was established through a merger in 2005. It's kind of an interesting uh, story how the business was founded, but you're going to you know, try to stay with me here. So yeah, I'm here. I'm tracking. San Jose Sports Card Distribution was founded in 1987. It merged okay. with Talkin' Baseball Distribution in 1995, which was then renamed Talkin' Sports. Meanwhile, you had Gamus Distribution, which was founded in 1976, run as a family-owned business until 2002 when it came under sole proprietorship. So then in 2005, GTS is therefore the combination of Gamus G, who is headed yeah. by our president, Steve Snyder, and Talkin' Sports, TS, mm. who's headed by our CEO, Lloyd Key, but both of them really prefer to say that GTS stands for Great Teams Succeed. Ah, like that. I like <laughs> how that comes together. What's the What's the reason why companies would merge? Is it because they want larger territories that or is it like synergistic that way or it is synergistic some other reason? and it's it's one of the ways to expand market share. Got it. Yep. Got it. So like, so I guess card manufacturers don't sell their cards directly to hobby shops or, or, or retailers. That's the role of the distributor. That is the role of the distributor. Um, simply because they are just that they're manufacturers. They are not logistic and supply companies. Uh, for example, we have nine locations in the United States, two in Asia, and we're able to service 99% of our customers between a one and a two day ship. Wow. So how does it work? Like what, what, so, you know, GTS is a buyer of cards directly from the manufacturer and then the distributor, you, you know, sell them to the Walmarts and Targets, or do you sell them to the hobby shops or both? Or how does that, how does that ecosystem work? Uh, we sell strictly to specialty show stores, both brick and mortar and online. So hobby shops uh, and breakers and online retailers. Big box retailers deal with an entirely different group of distributors. Got it. So manufacturers allocate product to us. We in turn allocate product to our customers. And those allocations are earned based on the past purchase history compared to that of other customers. Totally. Now I get it. All right. Now we're up to speed. And I'm sure the, the listeners are following along. And so for, for, you know, 
what types of products do you guys carry and, and, and how do you get access to them? We carry several, actually, uh, sports and entertainment trading cards, trading card games, board games, miniatures, role-playing games, supplies, and some toys, but we've largely exited that market. Uh, so it could so, be anything from like Pokemon through, I don't know, Panini, uh, basketball? Correct. Um, so on, in the division that I'm the director of marketing of uh, sports and entertainment, we work with manufacturers like Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, TriStar, Onyx, Historic Autographs, Futera, Super Break, and others. Wow. <laughs> you guys carry quite a bit. And so do you end up buying the boxes or I assume cases from from the manufacturers and then that's what you resell Correct. back out to the, the uh, Correct. hobby shops? And when I say hobby shop, you know, just for definition to the listeners, that's like what we would consider, you know, LCS or the, you know, the yeah, local, your card, local shop. card shop. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Just Just getting the definitions down so that we're all speaking the same language. And so this is actually fascinating because, you know, I, I, I see, you know, some folks up, update their Instagram when they're standing at like, you know, Walmart and Target and they're saying, oh, the distributors here are lining the shelves, but all these cards will be gone in 10 seconds <laughs> um, is, is yeah. uh, uh, clearly you guys aren't doing the Walmart and Targets, but you guys are doing the local card shops. Um, but how is, I imagine this has been a crazy year for you guys, like super busy. Uh Needless to say, I mean, it's been uh, an incredible year and it was created by a perfect storm of several factors, whether it was, you know, the, the market as a whole was on an uptick for the last few years. It was like, you know, I like to describe it as a lot of us nerds knew we were into this really cool thing. And now <laughs> yep. the cat's out of the bag and all the cool kids are into it. But you take the fact that sports cards are cool in general. You had the lockdown where people weren't allowed to do anything. Sports were shut down. Gambling was shut down. You had people diving back into the nostalgia of hobbies from yesteryear. And you just had this explosive growth of interest. You had social influencers, celebrities, and all this just combined into this snowball of interest that brought in new money. And all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went on collectively. And now sports cards are the coolest thing ever. And it's like, yeah, a lot of us knew that already. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's been validated. Yeah. And so that's probably kept you busy. So if I'm a uh, uh, local card shop, how, how do I get access to distribution? And like, walk me through that process. Like, you know, do I have multiple distributors to pick from or is it run by geography and I've got one that services my area? Uh, and you know, if I'm a new account, how do I get access to the good stuff? Well, or not, it certainly helps. <laughs> it's, it certainly helps to own a brick and mortar store. Um, you have to have a state issued retailer 
or reseller identification number. And then you go through an application process to open a B2B wholesale account. Um, we do sell to online group breakers. Uh, it's obviously a strong portion of our business. There are several additional requirements to prove that you're actually running a business and not just yeah. breaking pieces in your basement or flipping them on eBay or Amazon. So yeah, there's an account approval process that in, uh, entails a lot of different things. I mean, we want pictures of your business. We want pictures of your point of sale. You know, we want some past purchase history of utilities and things like that. And you got to prove that you're a business and it all starts with proving that you have that retailer identification. number. So I, I, I've been part of all different uh, group chats and there's always the chat, uh, the, the subject that always comes up and you'll probably smile when you hear this but, and shake your head. But, you know, it's always the group of guys or gals saying, you know, we just buy so many cars. We should just get a, a district, you know, we should just get access to a distributor. Is that even possible if you don't have a shop? If, if you, like I said, it all starts with that retailer yeah. reseller identification number. If you don't have that, you ain't getting anywhere. I mean, you're, you're SOL. And I mean, it all starts with that. Absolutely. So and so a lot of money on cards doesn't entitle you to a B2B wholesale distributor account. Totally. And so, but speaking of which, you know, as you, as you alluded to, it sounds like, you know, if you're an online breaker, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a, a, a retail presence, although a retail presence is helpful. It's certainly helpful. Um, like I said, we want to, Online breaking has been a big portion of our business for a long time. We are one of the first distributors to identify that as being an important growth market. But there's a lot of people that would like to take advantage of that. Just because you have a webcam and a Facebook page does yeah. not mean that you're a legitimate business. So there are some additional steps. I'm not going to go into all the details yeah. about that now. But you have to prove that you have a, a substantial following. Um, you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna put you into business. Let's put it that way. Got You've got to prove that you're an established business. We're talking about online breakers versus local card shops. You know, how much is like a typical order, or like you know, if I'm if I've got a card shop, how much how much inventory is there? you know, that I'm buying, you know, what, how much is behind the, uh, you know, behind me in, in, in wax? Well, as far as customer orders, uh, it really varies. I mean, one of the benefits of working with GTS is that we have no minimum order quantity. So if you need to order a single box for a customer of a product that, you know, your other customers aren't really interested in, we can fulfill that order for you. So it that varies really greatly. And then as far as um, inventory and what's typical if you want to get started, yep. I really wouldn't know the answer to that because each geographic market is totally different and each business model is different. So is your store going to specialize in singles? If so, are they modern or vintage? Which sport or sports? Are you going to carry new product? Are you going to diversify your inventory with trading card games, comics, figures, etc.? So as you can see, there's like 
a ton of variables. So very little typical. But there's probably like, you know, I imagine if I look at my LCS, there's probably at least $20,000 of wax in boxes or whatever, you know, behind the counter. Is that, is that kind of normal? I would say that's probably a fair figure. Yep. Yep. And then does, do you guys, you mentioned, you know, singles and, and stuff. Will you ever get, uh, you know, does, does GTS ever get involved in the distribution of, of single carts? Oh, uh, no, 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 just purely packs and yeah. boxes and cases. Yep. Not even uh, packs, just boxes and cases. Boxes and cases. And I assume, you know, most of it's sold in the case by the case. Uh, or is it broken up into boxes? Like, can I just buy you? I guess you said you could buy a single yeah. box for a customer. Yep. No order too big or too small. Absolutely. And so if I, as a LCS, you know, start to buy more, uh, either, you know, more dollars worth or more frequently, do I then have preferential access to the latest drops, um, that are coming out? It really goes back to the earned allocation model. So to a degree, yes, it's not a guarantee yet. Got it. Okay. And then on that note, you know, are there limits or maximums than any customer can order? So I guess there is if there's only if there's a, a fixed allocation. So if there's only going to be 10 cases, I can't order You're 20. Start, Darren, you are starting to figure this out. Because <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, again, but based on the earned allocation model. So we're sensitive to accommodate a lot of our customers, but we've got to manage the inventory and the secondary market purchases that we make. So you're getting it. All right. So I'm going to dive one deeper then if I'm getting it. So you may find out now that I didn't get it. So maybe I'll <laughs> expose myself. So is the allocation model on a per customer basis or is that on a GTS basis? Meaning if I'm dealing with, so if I'm at GTS and I'm, I'm dealing with Panini, they're going to, I'm going to make this completely up. They're going to allocate me a hundred boxes of the new flawless coming out. Um, or is it Darren's card shop? Uh, which I don't have, but pretend I do. Um, and I have my resale license, but I don't have, but pretend I do. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm a GTS customer, which I'm not, but pretend I am. Um, <laughs> do I have an allocation quota? So do does like, you know, me as a new customer for GTS, I'm only allocated, let's say three boxes of Panini Flawless. Um, and, you know, as I become a better customer, either through time and money and volume or whatever, um, I then can go from an allocation of three to maybe an allocation of six it's in some time horizon. Yes, that is a possibility. Got it. So that's how it works. Cool. Um, and as a, as a card shop, you know, I've always wondered this is, you know, are they, do they pay GTS on receipt of the cards uh, or boxes or, or, or cases, or, or they have like a net 60 or 90 or some other payment terms that they have access to? Whoa. In this market, if you need 60 or 90 days to pay, <laughs> Aaron, you are in the wrong business. No, but in all seriousness, um, New customers usually, yes, must pay upfront or COD, but over time, short payment terms like net 10 or 15 can be negotiated. So are there any numbers that you know of about turnover um, that you could share or no? Uh, you know, you said if I, if, if I need 60 days to turn over some, some boxes, that's a long time. What's the average that boxes are turning over these days? Oh, it's quick. I mean... Yeah, nobody is sitting on inventory right now. No, 
<laughs> I can't imagine. I've, I've seen it, you know, as a collector myself, uh, when I see stuff, it's sometimes like I have, you know, maybe five minutes to buy it because someone coming into the store right after me will probably take it after if I pass it up. Um, yeah. but, uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, so how is, how is, has distribution for the most part been the same as you've been in it? Um, or is it changing? Like, so I've seen, you know, stuff like the tops 2020 project, um, and you know, I've bought cards directly from the manufacturer, you know, the Jason Tatum ones that had come out or, uh, or Tyson Beck or, you know, some of the Tyler hero stuff that's come out recently. Um, do you see that as, uh, you know, being a threat to distribution business? Because I'm pretty sure I don't go through GTS to get those cards. I'm pretty much going directly through tops or the artists to get those cards. Um, is that a threat to you guys or you don't really see that as a threat because that's just a, such a small piece of the overall ecosystem that it's. It doesn't keep you up at night. Yeah, I don't. Those direct-to-consumer products, I mean, they're obviously designed to drive incremental revenue for the manufacturer's bottom line, but uh, they also serve as a means of engaging new consumers. So that, in turn, requires additional marketing efforts on the part of the manufacturers, which, I mean, is never a bad thing in the grand scheme of things. Brings more people in. Additionally, from a fulfillment standpoint, you know, as I mentioned, manufacturers are just that they're manufacturers. So from a a logistical standpoint um, and the production numbers involved, they're not on par with hobby or mass retail. And they presented their own logistical challenges for the manufacturers on just getting those out the door. So I don't really see that as any sort of challenge in the long run to traditional distribution models. Um, I think it's a good thing for the hobby and in the big picture of things. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, you, you, you see, you sit at an amazing seat within the industry because you're seeing, you know, new product, being manufactured and you're having the relationships with the manufacturers, but at the same time, you also are so powerful because you can control that product that goes out to, you know, all of the, the hobby shops, um, and the card shops, uh, that exists out there. And so do you see any trends that are driving the industry right now? Like we are hot, like, I don't know, is it safe to say that this is the hottest of all time? Um, is this hotter than the eighties? Um, and it's, it's a super hot space. You know, you mentioned some trends earlier that are driving it, but, you know, what else would you say that are, you know, pushing this industry forward? I do think in 10 to 15 years, we'll look back and we will say that this was the golden era of of sports cards. Uh, It will no longer be, you know, the late 80s and early 90s. Um, As far as trends, it's certainly allocated product. 90% of all new product is allocated from the manufacturer. That's different than it was just four years ago. That and that's the biggest trend in the market right now. The, the limited nature of product availability is the biggest trend and will be probably moving forward for a very, very long time. And because it's limited and it's allocated, does that have less of a chance of us getting into like a junk wax world that we had in the eighties where yeah, everyone was happen. overproducing? Yeah, exactly. exactly. That'll never happen again. 
that is, that is that makes me more comfortable as I continue to buy. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's just no way. I mean, that that will, the the manufacturers have gotten smarter. Um, they'll never allow that to happen again. And logistically, it it can't happen. Even though there's some people that you know conspiracy theorists in the hobby that say, well, if you add up all the brands that get produced. Wouldn't that be equal to the, you know, the single product that got produced back in, it, it's not even close. It is not even close. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't worry about that at all. We will never see that happen again. And do you, have you seen certain manufacturers more in demand over time or is that mostly driven by the league contracts or the player contracts that they have meaning you know is it always you know panini because they have the nba you know are they just drafting off the 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 excitement of the nba right now or do people just really want panini cards i think i i think it's strictly driven by by the popularity of the sport yep um, and each manufacturer has proved their capability in being able to meet the demand and have done an excellent job at being able to um, produce cards that fit the need and fit the demand. They're each excelling in their own respective uh, league licensing right now. And yeah, it's exciting. Absolutely exciting. And would you say, and so I've got a couple of questions left. Um, one, one that's been on my head as we've been talking and it's sort of making it up as we've had this conversation, you know, if I walk into my local card shop and you know, they're, they're stocked out of a particular product, is it mostly because there's a stock out because everyone's buying it and it's, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, sold out at either distribution or, you know, it's sold out at the manufacturer or is it more because the local hobby shop may not do inventory well, uh, which I can totally believe because, you know, it's a local hobby shop um, and uh, they're just not very good at merchandising and, and uh, you know, putting product on the shelves. Is it is it usually more because it's sold out, you know, because of demand or is it because it's the local hobby shop that's not sophisticated in how they're uh, doing their merchandising? Most likely because it's sold out. Yep. Especially these days, I imagine. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because <laughs> everything it, seems sold out. Everything yeah, does. Trust me, if the hobby shop has it, they want to sell it. Absolutely. And so, how about like old stuff? Meaning, you know, I'm a huge fan. My favorite set, my favorite, favorite, favorite set is the ninety ninety one or ninety one ninety two Skybox basketball, like. I love the white cards with the colors and the players that are just cut out, you know, onto those yeah. cards because it matches my aesthetic. I love art. And so I find that art and sports coming together is like where I really, really enjoy. Um, and I, I love those cards. Do, do distributors keep old sets on hand or not sets, but boxes and cases on hands in, in, in case they don't sell and, you know, they sell back catalog for years or is it, more of you know we really only sell like the last couple of years and it's more of the modern stuff that gets sold by distributors well that's an interesting question because we've had some internal debates about that in recent months um 
it uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I can tell you that I've personally been surprised when I've been asked to set up certain products from a marketing standpoint. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, it largely will depend on the secondary part market purchases that we make. Sometimes there'll be a product that's included in a bulk buy. Uh, we may not specifically target your 91 Skybox. But if it's included in a bulk buy that had something else that we were particularly hot on, um, you know, that might be the case. So it, it really is depends on the specific secondary market opportunity yep. because we are not adverse. I mean, we're constantly looking to source material on the secondary market. That was going to be my second question. Yep. Okay. Regardless, regardless of when the product was originally released, in all honesty. So we because we want to make sure that our customers have product to sell. And so maybe it's one of my favorite baseball products in recent years, 2005 Upper Deck Hall of Fame that came in those totally cool tins. Mm. You know, if, if we find a stash of that, I guarantee you we're going to buy it and and sell it. Um, so it, it really depends on the specific buy opportunity, but I can say as a distributor, we're constantly looking to purchase on the secondary market. So that then brings up a follow-up question, which, you know, earlier on, we we're talking about how, you know, uh, a card distributors buying from manufacturers. But if I go to gtsdistribution.com, you know, your website, it says GTS is buying. So, and, and you're alluding to buying from the secondary market. So does that mean that, you know, if Darren Herman, AKA midlife crisis cards has a bunch of boxes or cases sitting in my home that I've bought, you know, over the years, could I sell those to you? Like, yes. Ah, okay. Interesting. So is that a, is that a big part of the business or is that, you know, uh, you know, complement sort of all the stuff that you're doing direct with the manufacturers? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the term big. I would. Yeah, compliment is is a solid word. Uh, I think it's one of the things that differentiates us from our competitors. Uh, we are aggressive buyers. Got it. And are you aggressive on the modern or more of the older vintage type stuff? Everything. Got it. But more more on the modern side. Yeah, I imagine that there's only so much out there, and you want to try and get as much as you can because the market's so hot right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, our, our niche is more on the modern side. I mean, I know, you know, Fleer 1986-87 basketball is hot right now. Yeah. I don't think we'd be buying that in all honesty. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if someone came to us, what our category manager would do with that. Yep. Um, I don't know if that would be for us. Uh, I'd certainly be curious, though. Uh, if we'd be a player. I can that, only imagine but... what that would go for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, how is like the margin for boxes changed over time? You know, is it, you know, has it stayed relatively the same? Has it gotten better for the manufacturer for you guys? You know, because, you know, the card box, like the box prices have gone up. And so what's contributing to those going up is it really just that much demand in the market and limited supply? Or do you think there's more profit margin built in for the manufacturer? I mean, you know, 
you know the answer to that, Darren. I mean, the market really determines the pricing of products by the time they hit the shelves. Yep. Yep. So I imagine then the margin has just gone up. Um, so. Of course. Yeah. Which, uh, so for those listeners, you know, what we're, what we're discussing on that, because that's kind of technical, um, is, you know, we all know <laughs> if you've been in a card shop recently, the prices of cards have gone up. Um, and so because the prices of cards gone up, I kind of asked the question, you know, is why, like, you know, why has the price of cards gone up? And, you know, it's because we're all there with our wallets wide open, <laughs> ready to buy at virtually any price. So price has become uh, fairly elastic. Um, meaning using an economic term, meaning, you know, no matter where the price has gone, there's still been buyers, which then means that the margin, so the, the, uh, the price of the box minus the cost of the box, um, which is kind of, you know, what a lot of us would use the term profit for, you know, the profits have probably gone up during this time. Um, and so that was just kind of where I was going on that question. Um, and I guess you can, you can <laughs> look at that midlife crisis cards, you know, laying out the economics with Rob here from GTS distribution. Um, but I guess Rob, I've got, um, one last question before we go into our, our last segment, which is word association, um, which we'll have some fun with. Um, but, um, I got one last question, which is, you know, you've seen this space, um, you know, you've been in it as a, as you know, you've been on all, many sides of the fence. Um, and, uh, you know, you're a, a personal collector as well. I can't understate that. You know, I, I, for those listening, I said this before, but he's, Rob's got some real serious, amazing uh, cards. Um, you know, what's one or two innovations that you said, man, you know, irrespective of whether it's distribution or not, but maybe, you know, put your hobbyist hat on or put your professional hat on, whatever, whatever angle you want to take. You know, is there an innovation or two that you kind of scratch your head and say, I wish this existed within the space, uh, within the hobby. Move, like, is there something out there? The, yep. Move grading from the subjective nature of being done by humans huh. to the objective nature of being done by AI and computers. We have the technology. Get it done. I, I imagine everyone's smiling and nodding uh, as they're listening to this because, uh, you know, I imagine many of the listeners have plenty of raw but also graded cards and when they get their box back or their, you know, their, their graded card box back by PSA or Beckett or SGC or any of the other providers out there, you know, you know, when they get, you know, an eight for whatever reason or a nine and they're like, why isn't this a 10? Um, you know, we can't wait for that all to move from the subjective nature to uh, more of a scientific nature. I appreciate that. Um, yes, I agree with you. And uh, I've heard that many times um, and we all can't wait for that. And I've, been spending time with a bunch of companies that are coming up through the woodwork that are bringing uh, digital grading to the forefront. Um, and I'm not saying human grading is going away because I still think there's a human aspect to stuff that's important. But I do believe that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the digital uh, aspect of that with a little bit of human love will, will bring that to the top. So Rob, if you don't mind, I do this with all of our listeners. Um, I do a fun little word association, um, cool. where I'm going to give it. you, I would give you one word or phrase at a time. We'll do three of them. So it's relatively short. And it's just what comes to mind. Um, and so it comes from a lot of the conversation that we've just been having. Um, and so I would love to start 
with uh, the term the hobby. What comes to mind when you hear the hobby? Wow, that's pretty general. Some are going to be general and some are going to be very specific. The hobby. Sports cards. All right. Okay. And when I, you know, talk about the term uh, modern cards, what's the first thing that comes to mind with modern cards? Prism. All right. Yeah. I imagine those are ringing the cash register for you guys like none other, especially the football ones that have just come out. Um, And uh, the third is distribution. GTS. Ah, that's there you go. I love it. Rob, it was awesome having you on the Midlife Crisis Cards podcast today. I want to thank you and thank GTS for for lending you to us to chat with us. And uh, it's been amazing getting to know you. For those that are listening, Rob was one of the first business folks I spoke to over email where he humored me and allowed me to ask him a whole bunch of questions as I was writing <laughs> one of my first medium pieces um, that, to be released. And so... You know, behind the scenes, Rob's been a phenomenal uh, 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 person to bounce ideas off of, and he's not been shy to tell me not to bark up certain trees, et cetera. And it's been extremely helpful. So, Rob, <laughs> I want to say thank you very much. And uh, you're very welcome. Hope there. you enjoyed the conversation. I did very much. Thank you for having me. Best of luck with the Midlife Crisis Cards podcast. Rock and roll, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Midlife Crisis Cards Podcast. We had a ton of fun putting this episode together, and we want to thank you for listening. We want to hear from you, so please don't be a stranger. You can reach Darren at at Midlife Crisis Cards on Instagram or at dherman76 on Twitter. If you want to stop by and check out our collection of cards, listen to other podcasts, or have fun configuring our new product, the Cardboard Box, a set of hand-curated sports cards delivered to your door, come visit MidlifeCrisisCards.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay classy, and let's go Knicks.